right, my friends. Welcome to another beautiful week on planet Earth. Today is the end of February in 2022 of the Common Era. And you are listening to Christian Podcast. And I'm your host, Beto Gudiño, the Mexican. So as you know, on our show, we bring you weekly God thinkers to talk about matters of Christianity and culture through the lens of emoji reactions that range from blasphemous to divine. So it's been a tough week last week for our world because the world is at war. But the USA, which is where I make this podcast from, has been in a war all its own for centuries. Let me say that again. For centuries, the war of racism. So today on the show, I bring you two God thinkers, Pastor John Sibling and Wayne Francis, to talk about God and race. My friends, welcome to the show. How are you guys hey. doing today? We're glad to be here. See, we turned up. <laughs> We're doing great. Let's go. All right. Awesome. Well, my friends, why don't we introduce, well, why don't you introduce yourselves a little bit to our audience? God and race. There you have it. I have the book right here too. So let's start. I have you, John, on my top uh, screen. So let's start with John. Can you tell us a little bit who you are and a little bit of what you do? Absolutely. John Siebling. I am a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. We My wife and I started our church 25 years ago. Before that, I was a missionary in Kenya. And uh, so we started our church 25 years ago with a heart, a big heart to build a church that is diverse. And uh, so we've been able to do that, thelifechurch.com. And we have uh, locations in Memphis and really all throughout the country, all throughout the world. Wow. Boom. Amazing. Okay, Wayne, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, we started our church here in New York about 12 years ago. My wife and I and a team of people, I somehow convinced to help the church start for no money that came along with us to help us chisel it out. And uh, it was formally called Authentic Church before I merged um, our church with my pastors, um, John and Leslie Siebling, and we became the New York location of the Life Church. We've been at it for about 12 years, right outside of New York City, about 20 to 30 minutes north of Manhattan, and we're having a great time. We're doing it. Love it. Okay. Well, welcome to the shows, guys. And so I have your book right here in my hands. Let me see if I... There. Oh, it's kind of like disappearing on my virtual screen, but you guys have it too, so <laughs> you guys can show it. So it's called God and Race. And... I mean, it's it's a phenomenal conversation, and I love how you guys put it together. And it says, a guide for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles. So, before we go ahead with the show, I want to do this thing that I do on the show that it's called my emoji reaction to the book. So, as you can see, I have five emojis. So, I have blasphemous, skeptical, inspired, holy and divine. So as I'm reading the book, this is like my the main emoji that I would choose as my reaction when you know as I'm reading the book. 
So for that, we're going to go to the Emoji Tombola. Are you guys ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Emoji Tombola. Okay. Reveal the emoji reaction of today. It's an inspired emoji. Inspired emoji reaction. How do you guys feel about getting the coveted inspired emoji? We got inspired. Wait, hey, we got the inspired hey, emoji. Let's go. <laughs> We're not mad at that. We're not mad. Nope. That's a good that's a good emoji. I like that one. Love it. Okay. So this is where I want to start. I mean, there's there's a lot of ideas and stories that you have on the book that I feel like are phenomenal, especially John as you describe kind of like your starting the church in Memphis and then Memphis having like huge influence from historic events that happened you know even even having the the very last speech that dr king ever said right in right. memphis tennessee uh so i mean it's gonna be amazing but first i want to start with blasphemous okay so when we talk about god and race and america my perspective and i guess it's it's kind of like what you guys are elaborating on the book It's uh, that America has been dealing with racism for centuries, right? So if that is not the most blasphemous, like the most further away from God idea that we can talk today, I don't know what it is. But I want to ask you guys, when it comes to to race in America, what would be, in, on you guys' perspective, the most blasphemous idea, the farthest away from God Uh, that you can think of? Well, I mean, the whole concept that we are God's creation, created by God in his image, and yet we have the audacity to judge someone else based on the color of their skin, uh, that's pretty blasphemous because God created all of us. So that, that means I'm, I'm judging God's very creation when I make a judgment towards someone who doesn't look like me. Just a thought. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was very well put. I don't think I could come up with anything better. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so uh, Francis, uh, Wayne, well, Wayne, Wayne, uh, Wayne, when, when I'm reading the book, oh man, I, I, I was shedding tears. I'll be honest. Wow. When I'm reading the story of Pelham Street, yeah. I shed tears. And I'm a Mexican guy. I grew up in Mexico 24 years of my life. Then I came to the U.S. Um, and it surprises me that this country, this nation, is still dealing with with racism in the levels that it's dealing with. And right. for sure, we got to move forward. But can you tell us a little bit about that story That happened on Pelham Street. I think you were like eight years old, and it's so it's just moving and touching. So, can you tell us yeah. what that was? Yeah, I was with my mom, and um, we were headed to a bus station, a bus stop, public bus stop, to um, 
head somewhere. I can't remember exactly where we were going, but it was in a neighborhood that was predominantly white and Italian, actually. And um, when we got toward the neighborhood, because when I grew up, it was very diverse, right? Like for a while. And then there was white flight where all the white people started moving out of our neighborhood, kind of the introduction of crack cocaine and stuff like that, that really just segregated neighborhoods. And so I remember walking to the bus stop with my mom and there was about seven uh, white kids that were sitting along this kind of stone wall in Pelham Parkway there in the Bronx. And as we got closer to them, they started to snicker. It was the first time I heard a white person use the N-word um, toward me or in general, to be quite honest with you. And as we got past them a little bit, the ringleader started getting them a little bit more turned up, right? Like they started getting louder and so on. And right when we walked past them, the, the guy that was kind of getting everybody robbed up, he picked up this large stone and he threw it. And I mean, with such accuracy, it hit my mom dead in the small of her back. And I could just remember her wincing with a lot of pain. And I was so afraid already just because of the boisterousness of the guys. And I just remember her looking down at me and saying, just keep walking, baby. Just keep walking. And that was my first exposure to racism and her reaction wasn't one where she looked like a victim. It wasn't, I can't even remember her like see, seeming like she had a lot of fear. I know she had pain, but it wasn't like she was afraid. She was resolute, like just keep walking. We're going to the bus stop and we didn't run. We didn't increase our pace, um, which uh, now that I'm thinking about it is an, another unusual thing too. We didn't start running. We just kept walking to the bus stop. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, one of the most impactful parts of the story was that it, it, you almost said, I mean, the next day we had to do the same thing. Right. The next day we got to show up at the same bus stop and bus. Right. So, oh, man, I mean, that that's just uh, I mean, props to your mom for moving forward. But even when when you talk about like for the first time, somebody using the N word, I mean, that's just uh, I can't even believe that, you know, that that that's still that was still happening. And it's kind of like still happening. And on page 24 in the book that you guys wrote, it says For thousands of years, humans have been throwing rocks at people they don't understand. So, mm. John and Wayne, what is it that we don't understand about about race or racism or ra- or God and race? Well, I think that particular sentence um, refers to the fact that um, there are people that are different than us and we don't, you know, we don't we don't understand where they've come from. We don't understand their culture. We don't know them. And so it's easy to throw rocks at, at people and, um, you know, uh, be uncomfortable building relationships with people that are diff- different than us. I think that's the, the, you know, the, the, the ultimate barrier is that barrier of fear. We just are fearful. We're uncomfortable. We don't know. And so easy for us to reject what we don't know rather than making a decision that we're going to build a bridge and walk across that bridge and build a relationship. I don't know how right. Wayne would answer that, but I think that's, that's to, fear is the foundation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's fair. And it's also what racism does very well, which is to subjugate somebody. It's a superiority complex on steroids, right? It's like, I'm going to put you at this rank so that you can be subjected to me. And regardless of if it's between black and white people or if it's of any, you know, ethnic skin tone or hue or whatever, it's always about the distortion of rank, and um, which is evil. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how can you, so I'm a, I feel like I've been here for so many years already, like 17 years in America, but in a lot of ways, I still feel like a, like an outsider, you know, and uh, sometimes I even describe in some of the episodes, I describe myself as an immigrant. Um, so part of it maybe has to do with the fact that I'm not a citizen yet, and that's another story for another day, but Uh, when it comes to America itself, I just find it so intricate, the, the relationship between, like, you know, like, I, I don't even want to use these words because to me, the, it, it feels like they shouldn't even exist, you know, but white and black, you know, uh, so people describe themselves as I'm a white male or I'm a white person or I'm a black person. So help me understand what that means in america what does it mean to say i am black what does it mean to say i'm white you want to take the first stab at that or you want me to go <laughs> you go first that's a big question i mean it is that's that has a lot of different angles to it i mean obviously the the the, the challenge is you you do have to designate yourself i mean since we were kids we're filling out paperwork and you're 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 describing yourself as white, black, male, female. I mean, there's all these designations. Um, so, uh, there's that. And then, you know, there's the social side of it. And then there's the, 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 um, the, the racism side of it. I, I mean, it's a big question. Yeah. I think, um, you know, what we both like to say is that we're not presuming that, um, there are no other racial challenges. Obviously you've presented one and Asian Americans might feel the same way. Um, and the fact that we're even hyphenating things like I'm an Asian American, I'm a black American, I'm a this or that is complex right. and is filled with nuance in and of itself. But I think because the history of America is so fraught with division and angst between black and white people, categorically, it seems like those are the two major Uh, you know, ways that people tend to look at themselves. It's one of the reasons why um, even in the black community, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, uh, Puerto Ricans, they might feel more uh, inclined to identify with black people, people of color. I know black people tend to pull in um, people of color because it feels a lot more like we're in the same struggle together. But at the end of the day, it's just because America has a really stained history because of slavery in North America that keeps us categorically thinking in those two silos, black or white. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you add anything to that, uh, John? No, I mean, I I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just good at putting people in, in categories. I mean, I think that's a part of our, that's a part of our challenges. Believers, right. The apostle Paul writes and says, you know, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek and slave nor and male nor female. However, here on earth, we've been, we've been taught and we have become accustomed to categorizing people. Uh, but again, I, I'll, I'll ditto what Wayne said, you know, as we write this book, 
We know there's other racial um, tension, racial frustration, racial, you know, uh, points that people feel. Um, and I think we, we did pretty good at going to the root of the issue and not just the black and white issue. But that definitely is a big, it's the biggest one in the United States historically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot I wish I, I could even say about my own story coming here. But I want to focus on the on the hope that you guys are bringing in the book, and even that's why I, I reacted with inspired emoji, because um, I think it's a hard topic to talk about. But I love, and this is what I want to do even with with the show with Christian Podcast. Is like I want to tackle like these topics like head on. You know, if this is what our society is facing, if there's a way to move forward, is that if there's a way to bring hope. Is if there's a way to find healing and reconciliation, I want to be a part of that conversation rather than avoiding the conversation altogether. And I feel like that's that's what you guys are doing in the book, and that's some of the tensions that come up with with talking about race, right? But I guess another tension that comes in is the fact that well, you guys are both pastors, right? So in America, there has been. I guess this sense of because of that cultural and historic element, uh, like the black community needed to create like their own safe space to have a worship, right? To worship their God. So tell me a little bit about that um, diversity when it comes to you guys as, as pastors. What are some of the tensions that you face in wanting to have a church that's more more diverse than just a white church or a black church? Well, I'll I'll mention a couple of things, and I know Wayne Wayne will too. But yes, you're right, Beto. The thing that the, the reason there is a, a you know the reason there was historically a black church in the first place is because the white church didn't want black people worshiping with them. Right. So they they broke away and established their own. Uh, denominations and and um, so you know historically you have the white church you have the black church you know we 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 kind of feel like as churches that have a mission missional churches that want to impact their communities that our church our churches should look like the community for example you know Memphis is sixty five to sixty eight percent black and thirty percent white and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, our heart has always been to have a church that looks like that because we want people to walk in our church and feel like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're in Memphis. And that gives us as a church, I feel like the best opportunity to engage with the culture of our city. And so, um, so, you know, diversity, um, you know, diversity is the, the, let me say it this way. The face of the United States is changing. So diversity Diversity is coming and, and it's here and it's coming. And, and, you know, so I, I just feel like the church should, should reflect the community. Yeah. And um, I agree. I think um, many modern Christians feel like they agree with the idea that um, God wants to see diversity, but we kind of dupe ourselves into thinking that's going to be in heaven, right? Like, of course God wants to see diversity, but it's when we get to heaven, we'll do all that stuff. And we like to say that diversity is not just reserved for heaven. It's a requirement here on earth. So our, our position has been, if you're in a community that is diverse, the church should reflect the community. 
And that's not to say that, uh, you know, so I think that actually takes the pressure off in some ways, but still keeps the pressure on a pastor that's in a more homogenous context. So if you're a black pastor and you're in the inner city and there's only black people there, well, your church is likely going to reflect exactly who's in the radius of your church. Same thing with uh, a Spanish or um, an Asian or a white church, but we still have a responsibility to train people and to give them the word of God so that they have a heart for diversity and that they do know how to approach people that are of different skin and that we don't harbor bigotry or biases toward another race. So the the responsibility is not just reaching your community, which is primary. It's also having the type of heart that God wants us to have, which is one for diverse peoples. Mm. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And you, you say in the book that we got to start with the heart um, and you can elaborate on David, the psalmist, who's who had a heart after God's own heart, right? And a little bit of this idea of, I, w I guess it's the idea of repentance, right? The idea of lament, the idea of, um, you know, things have been wrong, but to acknowledge it in your heart. But this brings me to, so it brings me to this question. So you know how I have the emojis. So one of them is skeptical. So if I would use the emoji skeptical to one of the ideas that I'm hearing lately, it would be around this one. And maybe you guys can help me move you know, past skeptical towards something better than that. But it's, um, is it true that if you are not proactive about being anti-racist, that automatically makes you a racist? I'm a little skeptical, but <laughs> is that true? I don't really know what you mean. Can you elaborate on it further? Give me, give me some more, give me some more thoughts. Yeah. Well, I've been hearing this, this phrase, like if, if you are not proactively participating in eradicating racism, that makes you a racist, like automatically, you know? So that's why I'm skeptical. Like, wow, is, is that where America's turning? So I guess if I would make a picture of it, I feel like the pendulum swinging and the pendulum swings so far to one side that uh, mm. it automatically makes you, okay, if you're not with me, you're against me type of thing. Do you guys see I that? Or? Like, yeah, I feel like that's just an attempt to use words to militarize one group against the, another. Like, who gets to measure that? Mm. Who gets to say to what degree a that's person good. is actively working on you know, reconciliation. To me, that's just another way, again, of categorizing us as I'm racist, I'm anti-racist, then I'm going to be post-anti-racist, then I'm going to be post-post-modern anti-racist. <laughs> right. That's true. Right. So that's all, that's verbal weaponry to help us keep dividing. <laughs> mm. I like that. That's a great way to say it. Okay. Yeah, we need to watch, we need to watch our own life, right? And, you know, Jesus, our Lord said, don't try to, you know, uh, remove the speck in your brother's eye and you have a, a log in yours. Yeah. It's all about you, you know, watching over your own life. I think it's the key. And, and it goes back to what you said earlier is the heart. I mean, at the end of the day, it's your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do we help people, um, inspect their own heart like i know the 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 prayer is search me oh god right that's the invitation from david in the psalms but right. how 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 can people have like an authentic 
uh, examining of their own heart. Like, is there a is there a few tools maybe you guys can point us to to realize where our heart is when it comes to the issue of you know, racism? Well, I think you know. There's a we talk in the book about a framework that I think um, can help you build greater diversity into your into your circle and things like like you know start start with relationships start with a friendship make it make a you know if you really have a heart for diversity and you want to be a you know a change agent start building a relationship with somebody who's different than you and begin to try to understand their life i think you know to to um to educate yourself i mean the reason when we wrote the book uh god and race and we by the way have a curriculum we have a study guide that's a companion to the book and we're, you know, we're believing for small groups and churches all across the United States and, and, and Sunday schools to use the curriculum to get into, to get into some discussion groups. I think to educate yourself and to understand a little bit more about this, this issue, I think is huge. Um, and as you do, you begin to, then you begin to have responsibility. You take responsibility for your current context. So, um, just, you know, a couple of thoughts like that, uh, you know, it's easy, you know, it's easy to sit back and keep your arms crossed, and, you know, watch the news and just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's another thing in the game and roll up your sleeves and say, I want to try to be a, I want to try to be a change agent. I want to try to help. So I think it's, you know, some of those suggestions I think are, are in the book and they're good steps to take. Be great. And it's all relational too. I think what our, culture is doing is making us hide behind, you know, our, our Twitter, uh, handles and Instagram and Facebook. So we can just bully each other from, you know, our computers, our smartphones, instead of getting into each other's faces and having conversations that'll lead to some level of change. So I agree. just want to piggyback with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wayne. So in the book, you mentioned a story. I mean, it, it seems like you're a super funny guy. And <laughs> so sometimes as I was reading the book, I'm like, man, I can relate so much to Wayne because I feel like sometimes I'm 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 that guy who it's kind of like too funny that you kind of like land a little bit of on the why did you do that? You know, so, for example, uh, one of my emojis used to be the, the one that's skeptical. It used to be called what the hell? <laughs> and then my sister's like, Beto, you cannot be saying those things and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, I gotta, no, I'll move it to, to something. I okay. Like skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> But in, in, in the book, you talk about the story, uh, Wayne, when 2016, right? What a year. And you said that you had these red hats and you thought, man, what a great phrase to make America great again. And then you thought, Let's just put my neighborhood in those hats. Tell us a little bit about that story because I feel like it's hilarious, uh, but it has a lot of meaning into into what's happening, right? So I'm glad you find it funny now. That's, uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. Cost me a lot of families and people. Wow. Really, I was just trying to bring some humor to to uh, you know a really tense moment. It wasn't like I was you know doing a campaign you know stump speech or anything like that. It was like oh this would be. Like, people would, would get it. Like, hey, let's stop worrying about America getting great. Let's make Westchester great. Let's make our community great again. Let's not a, it just, 
it, it just failed. And sometimes humor does it uh, resonate with everybody. <laughs> but I think the attempt was genuine and pure. It wasn't political. It was just sort of like, man, we need a break. We need we need to let the room breathe a little, man. Like we need people to relax. It was just too. I I had people that were marching in New York City, you know, uh, political marches. I never saw anything like it. Like with uh, and these are Christians that were becoming so politically baptized in one party or the other that I felt like, oh, this was a great way. No, it, just, it turned out to be like mosquitoes, you know, let loose or bees in a room filled with honey. So. Uh, we're never doing that again, and uh, <laughs> even you learn. Yeah. Okay. So, it, it, the people are politicizing this stuff, right? Because America is politics, like Amer especially ever since I would say you know 2016, everything is even more polarized. So, tell me a little bit, like as as pastors, how are you bringing people together when it comes to uh, just like the political issues of of race, right? How do you help people get past, like you you were even saying in some of the pages that, you know, our our chairs were getting empty because once you start talking in politics, people are going to camp on one side or the other and agree or not agree. And then eventually, you know, say, this is not the place for me. So how did you create a space um, where the conversation was helpful enough and, <laughs> and people stuck to it instead of leaving. I think the, the, um, you know, there's a chapter in the book that basically says, follow, follow a King, not a politician. And we're, you know, our premise in that chapter is really helping Christians not idolize their politics. And I think that's been a problem the last four, six, eight years, longer than that. I mean, I think there's some, there's some people that have elevated their, their, political party above their Christianity. And so yep. our, our goal is to try to take that, take that down, back, back down. I mean, there's too much, too much, uh, aggression politically. And, and as, as Christians, as believers, our identity should be in our Christianity first. I mean, that's number one. And, and, um, so I think we teach on those kind of things. We talk about those kind of things. Of course, of course, we're going to have people in our church that are Republicans, and then we're going to have people in our church that are Democrats, and 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 you know um, it's okay. You know we we could worship together. I, so <clears throat> Wayne and I have always just tried to talk about those things. Uh, of course, you know some people don't like it. They they want to avoid really that that kind of discussion on a, on a weekend uh, in a in a church service. But um, I think our goal is to just kind of keep talking about it, keep talking about it, and you know how how would you answer that, Wayne? What do you think? Man, you know, it's I, I feel like we have tried to model the way to have a conversation for people yeah. so that you can actually dissolve some of the tensions. I think we've done strategic things. We haven't shied away from it, but we've been wise. And this is not to be like, you know, self-promoting. Um, we, we do a lot of work behind the scenes. We're texting each other and saying, should we be vocal about this or how should we talk? And so there's times where we've been silent to be quite honest with you, but it's been strategic because we feel like Jesus who was, full truth answered not a word at times. And then there was times where we had, micro conversations, diversity groups, lunches with, we, we didn't try to just deal with it in one, you know, kind of 
vocal way. We we've created yeah. a, a variety. We we created a variety of ways to to deal with it. We've we we did a reloaded um, series where we came back during the height of things in the summer and readdressed some of the things that we said way before the world exploded in recent times with outrage. And so I feel like people have learned to trust that when we speak about something, we're going to speak strategically instead of just blurting our voices out. We wrote a book. We did a series. We, 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 we try to do it in a variety of ways to help people have those conversations. And, and better, we lead a podcast like your podcast. Ours is called leadership in black and white. It comes out every Monday and um, obviously it's Spotify and iTunes and anywhere you can get podcasts. And we talk about leadership issues, but we also talk about uh, racial issues. It's, it's, it's not the only thing we talk about, but it's one of the things that we decided we were going to talk about on a consistent basis proactively. Instead of just reacting to news, we are proactively talking um, about, about this issue. So I love that, what Wayne said. I think it's probably our biggest and most important thing we do is to model the relationship and to model a a a dignified, respectful conversation that a black man can have with a white man. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's so good. I love it. So, uh, let's, I'm going to throw this idea because I feel like the, so we've been talking about racism in America with, with this background, right? Like there, there's the division because historically there has been, um, oppression for the black community right so that's that's i mean nobody can deny that uh so yeah. here's another idea that i've been hearing lately and this is from an influential pastor in la i'm not gonna say his name but he uses this phrase and i just want to see what's you guys's reaction to this uh he says in time the oppressed becomes the oppressor so does that spark anything in you when it comes when it comes to race in America? The oppressed in time become the oppressor. Um, I think it's human nature to want to have power and to cling for power. It's one of the reasons why we love being Christians because we see the one Jesus who has all power get rid of his divine um, ability to control. The, the outcome and gave his life. And I think um, when it comes to switching oppressors, um, humanity has always had a, a problem with that, right? Like you look at the Jewish people in the scriptures and um, when the Roman government was oppressing them, they thought Messiah was going to come so that they could oppress the oppressor. I think it's our natural wiring to want to have power and to flip the script on people, especially when you feel, so it's always like um, the backlash, but uh, when it comes to, it's one of the reasons why we try to teach a gospel centered approach to race um, and, and this idea of having a biblical worldview. Cause otherwise what happens is, is that all you're doing is flipping oppressors. You're pointing to somebody and you say, Oh, you're, you're oppressing me. And the only way to resolve that is for me to get in power and to stick it back to you. We come from a biblical um, perspective and, and challenge that idea. Wouldn't you say the same thing, Pastor John? Yeah, I mean, I would. I, would, I don't think it's an automatic thing. I think um, human nature, you know, wants to um, to get back uh, 
at the person that hurt them. But you know, Wayne and I talk about in the book, the power of forgiveness. And I think forgiveness breaks that cycle of oppressed, you know, oppression, uh, humility, I think breaks the cycle of oppression and doesn't necessarily create in you a desire to, to hurt. I think we bring that to Jesus when we've been hurt by someone. Yes. Our, our desire to retaliate, you know, we give it to the Lord and, and, and our strength as Christians is that the Lord helps us and gives us the strength we need to forgive and move forward. Yes. You wanted to add to that, Wayne? Uh, no, because I think that is profound to kind of push into this whole forgiveness piece um, and humility, the two, you know, twin uh, attributes that we need to conquer racism. Wherever there's forgiveness and there's humility, there's going to be unity. So. Mm. Wow, that's so good. Okay, yeah. So I'll tell you guys a story and see kind of like your reaction. So it's a little bit on the same line of you know, the oppressor and the oppressed, but this is my story. Uh, it's completely authentic and honest, you know, as I'm experiencing life in the United States. Uh, so two years ago, you guys know the what was going on, right? Like Black Lives Matter marches around the country. And here in Costa Mesa, there was one happening. It was, yeah, it was Costa Mesa. So there was one happening and I felt like me and my wife were like, we want to participate. You know, if, if no, we're, we're just kind of like seeing videos everywhere on social media. Uh, and I, I think this was right after George Floyd uh, was murdered. Right. So we wanted to participate because as an outsider, I'm like, I want to support the people who feel oppressed. You know, I want to raise my almost like you say in the book, you know, the, the fist has been mm -hmm. uh, an icon of standing up against the oppressor in a sense, you know? So we're marching for the first time ever. No, I'm raising my fist and I'm kind of like supporting the whole thing that's going on. But in a lot of ways, I was super naive to the whole conversation, right? And I think that's why I'm saying, you know, this was just authentic, I'm unfiltered. I just wanted to participate and show support. Uh, but on the other hand, You know, this is just my vantage point. I see cops on buildings almost like allowing for this whole procession to happen in a in a friendly, uh, non-violent way, you know? And but a lot of the chants themselves were like so harsh and against the police itself that part of me was just like Man, something I I don't feel right about chanting this chant. You know, I I can support the people, but uh, a lot of it just became like I'm just so angry at you that I'm just kind of like pointing the finger back at you. And then just that whole march became a whole deal with with some of the people in our church because some of them are police officers, right? So I like I'm saying I I didn't have like the complete understanding of what was going on and whatnot, but I feel like man, I have a heart for police officers too, you know, they're just trying to do their, their duty. And so uh, how did you guys react to that story? Like how, let's say I'm a member of you guys' church and I go to a march and then, you know, I'm, I'm chanting, you know, this stuff and other people come back at me and they're like, no, all lives matter, not just black. So, I mean, to me, I'm just experiencing this in America. That's why I'm saying like, wow, there's, there's a lot of tension from every angle. Um, 
So if I was a person that's attending you guys' church, what would have been your response? Like, how, how do you manage, like, okay, here's a guy who wants to participate in this, but then maybe we also have police officers that are part of our church, right, that feel angry about what's going on. Uh, just Can you guys uh, tell me what's your reaction to my story? Sure. You want to go first or you want me to? Well, yeah, I'll go first. I mean, I think the um, – the uh what you described is everybody's uh a lot of people's feelings and i think when the george floyd um situation happened when george floyd was killed by that uh white police officer the the world um i think sort of turned upside down um, another way to say it is i think something started to happen that seemed extreme to some people The, the riots, the protests, whatever you want to call them. And I think it was a collective pain that people were, um, were expressing. I, I, I mean, I, I brought our, our, our whole staff together. I said, there's a lot. And there was people saying things on Facebook. There was stuff all, it was just a wild time. And I said to everybody, I said, look, there's a lot of pain. Um, people are hurting. And there's a lot of things being expressed right now. Let's be big people and let's absorb their pain without being offended ourselves. Mm. And, and that's, I, I, th I think that's what kind of, that's kind of what mature people do. We, we have to accept um, some of these things and, 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 and help, you know, help absorb the pain. Um, mm. We had protests happening in Memphis. Definitely people in our, that were part of our church were protesting. There were, and we have police officers. We, 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 we have the same thing that you're describing. We have it in our church. And I think, you know, you have people who needed to express themselves and, um, you know, maybe if they were chanting certain things that you weren't comfortable with, you stop chanting, but maybe you're still walking because you're walking in uh, solidarity with your, your, your brothers that are, that are hurting. Um, I just think it's, it's pretty diverse and there's diversity of feeling and diversity of reaction. Um, we support police officers. We've got plenty of police officers in our church and, and a lot of them are black, black police officers. So you have the dichotomy and the diversity. It's all over the map. I, I just don't think there's one way there's one reaction. I think um, I, I talked to a lot of people that were really, really hurting black people. I listened, they cried, they were angry. Um, and I just tried to listen. Uh, I think there was probably some reactions in that season that were extreme, but you know, I heard a long time ago, sometimes you have to go to the, to the extreme to achieve the balance. And so I think you see this pendulum pendulum swinging in our country. Sometimes it swings pretty far this way. And that's only to bring us as a country, maybe more centered. So, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I, You know, that's a lot of rambling, uh, but I, I think um, I, I think a lot of people describe to me how you felt. Uh, and, um, you know, it's understandable. Yeah, I, I think for me in our congregation, I remember one Sunday I was preaching in May and uh, had a series. And on that particular Sunday, uh, the guy playing the drums, a white cop was playing the drums. And uh, during the sermon, I said, um, just so you know, not all white cops beat people up. They actually beat the drums up. And man, our drummer today is a cop. 
in Yonkers, and he does a great job. And then I said, for those of you that may feel tense about it, let's not, you're on Blue Lives Matter, this life. Well, that's kind of presumptuous, right? We, we, we got really myopic because my brother-in-law is a cop. Like what you mentioned, Pastor John, that, that you know, it, it's automatically like, you know, if you're a cop, you're automatically white all of a sudden. That's what the, the cultural tension was making. So we, yeah. we dishonored authority and we all don't want anarchy in our neighborhoods, but we we just automatically said, if you're a cop, you, you must be white and you want to beat people up. Well, that's not the truth. And so we had to bring some real balance to help people um, understand both sides of it. So that's the way we handle it here in New York. Wow. Incredible. So uh, one of my takeaways, I guess it's it's super basic, but it's even what James would describe in uh, you know the book of James in the Bible. It's uh, listen more, right? Uh, so I think that is, I would say, maybe one helpful thing for people listening is listen more to the conversation. So right. if I would say, uh, what is a good question to ask to engage in this conversation? What would be like the the one first question that can help us? start a conversation with somebody that that maybe we want to have the conversation but because of the culture itself we feel a little bit maybe afraid to even engage what would be like the first question we need to ask um i might think the question might be what do we have in common what do we have similar so that we can get over our semantics like what is it that we both have that we can we can find unity on mm. I would probably say similar to that, you know, tell me, tell me your story. Um, I want to hear your story. What's your experience? What, what have you been through? I, mm. I think you can sit with an open heart with somebody across the, the, the table from you that looks different than you. I think you can learn a lot. And, um, you know, so that's probably what I would say. Love yeah. it. Okay, so this is what we're going to do now. Uh-oh. Here come the emojis again. <laughs> so, I want to walk through the emojis with you guys a little bit as we get to the to the end of the episode, I would say. So, there are the emojis. Again, it's blasphemous, skeptical, inspired, holy, and divine. So normally what I do is I walk through the five emojis with everyone on the show at the end of the show. So we'll see if we can do that because there's two of you. So I don't know if it'll be long or not, but we'll try. Okay. So the first question would be, and I guess we already used blasphemous, so we can move over to skeptical. So John, when it comes yeah. to God and race, what are you still skeptical of? When it comes to God and race, what am I still skeptical of? Wow. Um, I don't. I don't know if I'm skeptical, Beto. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I have skepticism. I think. Um, I think. Uh, I'm pretty hopeful. Um, you know. Uh, I wonder how long is it going to take. I wonder. Um, I wonder sometimes about. Um, 
you know, how people are going to accept things and move forward. But I'm pretty hopeful. I'm pretty hopeful. I think, I think it's, uh, you know, I think we've made progress, but I, I think there's, uh, there's still a lot of work to do, but, uh, I, I don't know, maybe I'm chickening out. Maybe I, I don't know, but I don't, I can't think of anything I'm skeptical about. Love it. Okay. So Wayne Francis, are you skeptical of anything when it comes to God and race? I'm skeptical that somebody else, a better duo, could write a better book on the subject matter <laughs> of God and race. I'm very skeptical about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So my emoji to the book was inspired because your guys' relationship inspires me. And I think exactly what you describe and you guys are doing Thank right you. now, you know, this podcast, the podcast that you guys have inspires me. So in your own words... What inspires you guys when it comes to God and race? It inspires me personally that we're seeing the needle move toward people being open toward having this conversation. Our experience so far in uh, getting this message and this book out has been thank you. When we're selling the books on site, people are buying the book for somebody else, which means I think that people are actually more um, hopeful than they are skeptical. I think the media is trying to make us feel more skeptical, but I think that there's a, a hope and I, I'm inspired by the opportunity to be welcomed to have this conversation. That's what I'm inspired by. Love it. John, what are you inspired about? Um, I, you know, I agree with Wayne. Um, I think Wayne inspires me uh, when I sit down with people who have read the book Um Uh, white people, black people, they're, you know, they inspire me. I got a text from a friend who was um, telling me about a story. He's driving his child to school and uh, somebody's driving into his neighborhood while he's driving out and they look different than him. And he has this thought of like, well, I guess they must be coming to clean somebody's house. And uh, immediately he feels convicted that he profiled that person as they were coming into his neighborhood. And he said, it's because I'm reading your book that I'm, I'm, I'm becoming aware of my thinking and my thought patterns that, that inspires me because if that guy can change and he's a great guy and he's not a racist, but if he can go deep in his thinking and make some changes, it'll change his kids. It'll change the generations to come. And it's like, it's stories like that one story at a time that I think brings the, brings the change. Love it. Okay, so let's move on to holy. So, Wayne, uh, where do you see something holy in in the relationship between races in America? Um, I feel like it's a holy opportunity because there's a beautiful unity that's coming together. I feel like the relationship that I have with my pastor is sacred. Um, we're obviously clearly very different, but the holiness of it is that um, it's countercultural, and it's it's actually a rebuke to a culture that is all about division. So the holy moment is reflecting God's desire to see what on earth, what's already in heaven. So that's what feels holy to me. Love it, John. Where do you see holy? You know what? It's interesting when in the summer of 2020, right after George Floyd was killed, we started doing these lunches uh, in our church uh, for our staff. And it was just Leslie and me, my wife and I, and we sat with 
six or eight or 10 African-Americans that were on our staff. We did several of these lunches throughout that summer only to listen and to hear their stories. And my wife told me, um, you know, we, we, we wept almost every lunch that mm-hmm. the, these people had walked through and the experiences that they had in their heart. And uh, my wife said, you know, those are some of the most holy moments I've ever experienced as people shared their journey and how God, had touched their lives and, and, and how they found our church and just different things like that. I, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a holiness in these moments as we talk about these really, really sacred, powerful things and people are surrendering their hearts. And, and uh, you know, I don't know, that's a hard question, but I, that's what I would say. Love it. Okay. So lastly, the divine emoji. So where do you guys see something divine when it comes to God and race? Wayne, let's start with you. Um, I feel like the divine flows in relationships expressed through the local church. What's divine is the local church advancing the reconciliation mission the way it's supposed to, calling people back to Jesus and calling people back to each other. So I think that's the divine piece, the local church's mission in the world to bring people together. Love it. Okay, John, where do you see divine? Well, I think when the, when when people of different skin colors come together and worship, I think uh, it's a reflection of the picture of heaven. And I, I think um, I think there's some divine energy that happens in those moments. I think we were created to worship together with people that are different than us. And when we do, I think God God shows up. And when God shows up, it's divine. Boom. All right. There you have it, my friends. What an amazing time. <laughs> With John Siebeling and Wayne Francis. So, guys, can you guys tell us where can we find you guys' book? Where can people find more about what you guys are doing together as a church family in Memphis and New York City? How amazing. Go to GodandRace.com for all of our resources. Take it away, Pastor John. GodandRace.com. You can go to LifeChurch.com to get more information about our church. You can go to LeadershipInBlackAndWhite.com to get more information about our podcast. Uh, GodandRace.com, TheLifeChurch.com, LeadershipInBlackAndWhite.com. There you go. Okay, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was, it was awesome. I cannot see y'all. Somebody's having a call. Can y'all see me? Yeah, we'll be All right, my friends. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Christian Podcast. Three ways in which you can support the show. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Roku TV. Leave us a positive review and visit ChristianPodcast.com to check out our amazing emoji merch. I am Beto Gudiño, the Mexican. I'll see you guys on the next one.